I hope that you've already sensed that there's something happening that's a little different. That's good. I wanted today to feel different because it is a turning point of sorts. You know, in the last year, 18 months, two years, we have been examining, discussing, and even lamenting as a church the things that we have noticed are happening in the culture around us as Americans. I've talked a lot about that, shared a lot of statistical information. We've talked about those who are falling away. We've talked about the way that our culture um, no longer has the same amount of respect, if you will, for Christianity and for the church of Jesus Christ. We've, we've recognized the fact that there is a gap, a widening gap between the ways of our culture and the beliefs of God's church. I think that has been well documented. Last month or this past summer, we went to the book of 1 Corinthians with the realization that we are the church. And we're still here. We're here for such a time as this. And last week I made the statement that if you're still here, <laughs> that means that you, it matters to you. That you want to be a part you know what is happening in the world around you. You know what your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers believe. You know that that gap is widening between you as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ and the greater culture around you, and yet you are still here. And I appreciate that. But today I'd like to lead us in the direction of a different conversation we have been talking about what's happening and where we are with that I would like for us to think together from here on in about what in the world are we going to do about it Amen. let's make a plan we are still here and we do have a calling of God before us as his church and as his people and I think the first thing we have to do, we're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks, the first critical thing that we have to do in discerning what are we going to do next is we have to decide exactly where it is we stand. We just sang, I believe. I believe. And I think for the next several weeks, it would behoove us as a people and as a church to agree that there are certain non-negotiables that we have as the people of God. We need to say, as Joshua said to the children of Israel many, many years ago, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need to come to a place as a congregation of believers, of baptized believers in a covenant relationship with one another, that our covenant together means something. And it means that we are going to stand together on certain truths that we will not compromise. 
I think we have to decide where are we going to go from here. You see, as we see this widening gap between the truth of God's Word, the truth of, of, of God as revealed through Jesus Christ and, and defined by the Holy Spirit, that truth that we have in His Word, and we see that dividing gap between that and what the, the, the culture is believing and accepting as real, accepting as true. We see it widening and widening. What's happening is certain churches are struggling with where they stand. And I'm not going to be critical of any particular church or any particular denomination. But that is one way of dealing with that widening gap, right? Is for the church to move. There's a word for it that is becoming more and more popular in the literature today, in Christian literature today. It's referred to as progressive Christianity. And as you read about progressive Christianity, you read about a Christianity that is evolving and becoming more and more like the culture in which it stands. A Christianity that's redefining some of those standards that we have stood on for years and years and years in order to be more palatable, to be more um, accepted by the greater culture around us. You see, Paul wrote to Timothy years and years ago. In the first century, Paul said, Timothy, that in the last days, things are going to happen different than they're, they're happening now. He said, in those days, men will not tolerate sound doctrine. I think we're seeing those days. Now, if we're living in a time where people do not tolerate sound doctrine, we need to come to the realization that one of two things is going to have to happen. Either those people are going to separate themselves from the sound doctrine that we teach, or we're going to have to change our doctrine. And I think before we move on, we have to decide exactly where we are now. Where do we stand? What do we believe? In an article that came out in Decision Magazine, some of you probably take that magazine. It's a monthly publication. I believe it's put out by Billy Graham Industries. And, and there was an article in the June issue this year written by Alyssa Childers. And the article is entitled, Five Signs Your Church Might Be Heading Toward progressive Christianity see there's a warning out there those the, the, the professionals the our leaders are already beginning to warn us you, you need to watch out for these things even within your local evangelical church let me tell you what those five things are you, you should go and read that article by the way you can pick it up online uh, it's at a decision magazine five signs your church might be heading toward progressive Christianity number one a lower view of the Bible. A lower view of the Bible. Now listen, there is a subtlety to this that is beginning to get on my nerves. If I could speak candidly for a moment. I read an excerpt from a book that was written just very recently by 
uh, a pastor who pastors a major evangelical church in our country. If I said his name, most of you would recognize it. But again, I'm not pointing anybody out. But in his book, he said this. He said, when I preach, I no longer quote scripture as book, chapter, and verse. Like I would never say Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 says so and so. He said because people would immediately recognize that as a scripture from the Bible and the Bible has lost its place in our culture and so I don't want them to write me off before I even get to say what it says. So what I would do rather is I would say the Apostle Paul said and then would quote the Apostle. And his argument was I'm saying the same thing but it's actually being received instead of rejected. Do you see the subtlety in that? It's kind of progressive. It didn't start all at once, but that's what they call progressive Christianity. It's progressing. It's, we're going to meet the culture where they are. Well, I, I believe that there needs to be an evangelical effort. There needs to be a mission effort to where we go to where people are and we find out where they are and we minister to them and we try to meet their needs, etc., etc., but folks, when we begin to compromise the core values of what we believe in order to reach people, listen to me carefully, we might appease them, but we will not be able to share with them the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we've just undermined it by our own compromise. The Bible. A lower view of the Bible. Number two. She says that uh, progressive Christianity prefers feelings over facts. Hmm. Feelings over facts. We say things like, progressive Christians might say things like, well, I believe that God instilled that in me or that must be true because I feel so strongly about it. I heard a sermon recently, and the, the pastor was talking about how we are to find God's will and purpose for our lives. And one of his points was, follow your passions. And I'm sitting there scratching my head, and I said, doesn't, doesn't Jeremiah chapter 17 say that the heart of man is evil who can trust it. It's subtle, isn't it? Well, it sounds good. Feelings over facts. Number three. Essential doctrines. Essential doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Childers wrote, one of these signs of progressive Christianity is that our doctrines, essential doctrines, are always up for debate and ready to be changed if necessary. See, we're talking foundational issues, aren't we? Foundations are beginning to, to weaken and crumble. Number four, historic terms of the church are being redefined. Terms like sin, 
You've heard a lot about that lately, haven't you? Redemption. And even the plan of salvation. In this article, children says, when you, when you go to many of these progressive Christianity churches or progressive churches, you will find lots of ways to associate with other people within the congregation, but it's hard-pressed to find information on how to be saved. Invitations have fallen by the wayside. An emphasis on personal repentance of sin and sacrifice are seen as negative and harsh and not accepted. And then number five. She said that uh, the fifth sign is that the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. We will make a difference by doing good things in our communities. We want everyone to have a fair shake. Yeah, it's progressive and it's beginning. And what, what you begin to see is as this gap gets wider and wider between the church and the culture, between the truth of God's word and the belief system of our culture, what we begin to see is some churches are beginning to migrate in order to try to bridge that gap. Now, before we become too critical, let me suggest that it's our own fault that this is happening. We have to own some of this. For the last hundred years or so, we've had this church growth mentality, and we've thought that the only measure of a healthy church is one that is growing in number. And we have sought to reach people for people's sake, for the numbers. We wanted to bring them in. We've asked ourselves questions like, well, how can we reach them if they don't come? So we'll do whatever is necessary to get them here. And if our doctrines are in the way, then we need to edit them in some way. It makes sense, doesn't it now? If that's our main goal is to count the number of people that are here to get them here. And it's not just those other evangelical churches. Let me tell you something about Southern Baptists. And I, we've known this for, for years and years and years. Like, for, the, for instance, the North American Mission Board. The North American Mission Board will, will, will take a young man and his family and train them to be church planters. And then send them to Timbuktu to plant a new church. With the expectation, yes, even the requirement that that church reach a certain number of people in a certain number of years. And if they don't reach a certain number of people within a certain number of years, they will either be asked to step aside or maybe even move, but they will begin to lose their support, their financial support, because they have not filled the pews. Now you tell me, if you're a young man or woman in Timbuktu with a family to feed, would it be tempting to progress a little bit toward the culture in order to get them in? See, there's some pressure there, isn't there? I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying we've kind of created that, that temptation. We see a criticism that's taken place among pastors and church leaders and staff now because their numbers are dwindling and, and we put the pressure on them. Do whatever it takes to get the people here. We can't minister to them unless they're here. 
And then we look out and we realize, well, the, the Bible says they're not going to stand for sound doctrine. So I'm going to reach them. Something's got to give. And so, Old Fort Church, what I'd like to say to you this morning as we begin, as we step forward into a new time, such a time as this, as we stand up and say, we want to be the church in this generation to reach a community that for some seems to be unreachable, but can be reached by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we want to do our part and we want to do something that matters for the glory of God, where do we begin? I think we must begin by discerning exactly where it is we stand. Can we at least agree on what's important to us. Boy, I've had a good time having this conversation with, with our staff and our key leaders, our elders. We've been doing this for the last several months. And I'm not going to tell you anything new this month. What I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to some core values that, that we've kind of come together on. And we're just going to talk very briefly about those this morning. I want to get you to thinking about them because in the next three weeks, we're going to take these values and we're going to just break them apart. We're going to look at why they're important to us. But let me start by telling you where I found them. Well, yeah, I found them in the Bible. But I also found them right here. I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. If you're an active member of Beaufort Baptist Church, this is not going to surprise you. You can go to our website and you can look at uh, our beliefs, our, our church covenant. You can find everything I'm going to say to you over the next several weeks. All I want to do is just bring it off the page and give it to us in a way that is simple enough for us to kind of recall and remember so that you can have a good understanding of what is critically important to us. See, that's what a value is. You look up the word value in the dictionary and it talks about principles or standards of behavior. One's judgment as to what is important in life. We have to make that call as a church. Our culture is changing rapidly. They're telling us that what we believe is not important to them. So we have to come back to a basic understanding of what's important to us. And are we willing, are we willing to stand upon these values regardless of what's going on out there? You see, if we're going to be so bold as to ask the Holy Spirit of God to do a great work in and through us, doesn't it stand to reason that we should do it according to His truth? And so we're going to begin to think together about our values. I've got three that I'm going to give you this morning. And I think that just about anything and everything we do or believe can and should find a place within one of these three values, if not all three. I want you to learn them. I want you to memorize them. I want you to talk about them. I want you to tell your neighbors when they ask about your church that, well, you know, you might not like the music that we play. You might not like the way we organize our classes. You might not like the way our pastor dresses. You might not like all those things. But let me tell you what we stand for as a church. Number one, you guessed it, biblical truth. Let's just say that. Biblical truth. Let's just stay with it. It's what we have. It's what we've always had. It is the Word of God. Now, we can, 
We can debate some of its meaning. We can deal with those issues. We can talk about, well, I don't, I don't really understand this passage. I don't really get this passage. Or I believe it says this. Maybe you believe it says that. We can do those things. But let's make sure we stand upon the Word of God, its authenticity, and we look at it as being God's truth recorded in God's Word, given to us or personified by Jesus Christ and revealed to us regularly by the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, not anybody's truth, biblical truth, God's truth. Let's stand on it without compromise. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That is what we do. That is what we do. You see, we live in a culture that is defined as a post-truth Culture, you do realize that, that our culture no longer values anything that, that even smells a little like absolute truth. Oxford Dictionary dubbed the, the word, the hyphenated word post-truth as its word of the year in the year 2016. And here's the definition they gave. Listen carefully. Post-truth means this, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal beliefs. It's not the facts that matter, it's feelings and personal beliefs. You have a right to believe whatever you want to, and if you believe that, it must be true. Now, we're at a disadvantage, church, in that mindset. Here's why. In a post-truth culture, we are people of truth. That's foundational for us. We have thus saith the Lord. We have the Word of God. And you've heard me say before, we've got to stop giving people our opinions. Now, you don't want a pastor that talks to you about what he thinks. You don't want my opinions. Now, I have lots of them. I do. i got lots of them. And I'll be happy to share them with you sometime if you don't stop by the office. But you don't need a preacher getting up here, opening up God's Word, and then giving to you what, what he or she thinks is, is an opinion. You don't need that. You need the truth of God's Word, and I challenge you to hold me accountable to that. To thus saith the Word of God. We need to maintain this value. Value number one, biblical truth. Say it with me. Biblical truth. Say it again. Biblical truth. We're going to hold on to that and we're going to agree that as we begin thinking together about what happens next, we begin in the precious, precious Word of God. Because this is where our values are shaped. This is where we find that truth. It is God's Word. He gave it to us. He's preserved it for us. We need to hold on to it. Second thing. Our second value we're going to talk a lot about, by the way, next Sunday, if you'll come back, I'm going to talk about the Bible, where it came from, why it was given to us, what we are supposed to do with it, how it relates to our everyday life. We're going to be talking about biblical truth in great detail next Sunday. The next value that we have identified, we simply call missional living. Say it out loud. Missional living. All right. Number one is biblical truth. Number two, missional living. 
living. We want to do something that matters. As a church, as the people of God, as ambassadors of Christ, we value God's call to be on mission with him by sharing his love and telling his story. Look at what the Bible says about this particular uh, vision. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Who's the you in that passage? Every believer. Every believer has a calling. What you have received, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. You'll see in that mission statement, that missional living statement, you'll see there's at least two very, very powerful concepts. We see first the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We want to be busy sharing God's love with this world. We want to be busy being salt and light in this world, doing things that make a difference, doing things that do not draw attention to us, but to draw attention to him. That's what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That matters. We need to be about that. Second thing is the great commission. Go into the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there it says, telling his story. It is the story of salvation. It is the gospel story. It is the story of redemption. We need to be about that. And you can get involved in missional living in any number of ways. We don't want to teach you to do missions at church. We want to teach you to be missional in your everyday life. It is missional when you are having prayer with a coworker in the break room because he or she is hurting or broken. It is missional when you're sharing the gospel story with a neighbor that is lost or a grandson or a granddaughter who needs to know Jesus. It is missional when you show up to, to help uh, our community impact program on Thursday night. It is missional when you sign up to go to Baltimore to help a new church plant there or to go to Tanzania to help a group there. It is missional when you come to be a part of a prayer service or to lead a Bible. Bible study. There are lots of ways to be missional, but we want to get more people involved in doing something that matters. Yeah. One of the things that's not going to help in this dark world is for the church to continue to huddle up and take care of itself. We've got to lose that cruise ship mentality. We've got to lose that country club mentality. We've got to remember that what happens here is not about us. We have been called of God to be on mission with Him. We need to see it, and we need to surrender ourselves to doing that good work of ministry. The gospel compels us. It compels us. The story of Jesus compels us to do something that matters for His glory. Say it, mission of living. What's the first one? Biblical truth. And the second one? Mission of living. All right, let's look at one more. We're calling this one vital connections. We value one another here at Old Fort Baptist Church. The last Sunday in September, you're going to hear a sermon on one another. There's a lot, the Bible has a lot to say about one another. Love one another. Serve one another, support one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. 
The Bible calls us to be in unity with each other because God predicted that it was going to be hard to be a Christian in America in 2019. In 2019. He, 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 he predicted that, right? He knew it was coming. So he called us together. He said, you can't do this alone. We're not called to be Lone Ranger Christians out there pushing back the darkness all by ourselves. We're called to do it with one another. Listen to what the Bible has to say about this value. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Colossians chapter 3. We have to come together. You know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about and we're going to be very, very intentional to do as we think about these vital connections is we're going to be very intentional to remove an assumption that we've made for years. And the assumption is that when someone comes a, becomes a Christian, that the Christian community just kind of absorbs them in and gives them a place. That assumption is not true. And it's not even biblical. The Bible says... That we are to be intentional to reach out to one another. The Bible says that a new person, a new Christian is a what? A baby. That baby can't go to some class meeting. He can't even drive yet. Right? That's a great analogy. What does a baby do? Not too much. So what are we as a church supposed to do? Be intentional. Feed that baby. Pick him up. Pick her up. Love on them. Support them. Encourage them. Feed them. Nurture them. Help them to grow. We got to be intentional about that. You know, it's like, it's like saying to the baby, well, we had dinner last night. You didn't come. Why are you so fussy about that? We had dinner and you didn't come to the table. Well, of course they didn't come. They can't walk. <laughs> We're going to try to be very intentional. We're going to remove those assumptions. And replace it with, with intentionality. To try to get people plugged into one another. So that you can be strengthened and supported to do those other things. Yeah. Alright, what's number one? Number two. Number three. Vital connections. You're going to see a lot about that in the next month, in the next year, and in the years to come. We want you to know this about your church. We want you to know that these are things that we value. We want you to share them with others. We want you to be able to tell your friends, your neighbors, the people that come around, well, tell me about your church. Well, you know, you might not like this or that, but I, but I got to tell you, here's what's valuable to us. We stand by the Word of God. We teach it. We preach it. We learn it. We study it. We deal with it. We, we try to be missional. We try to reach other people for the cause of Christ and to share the love of God to our community, to our world, and to share His truth and His Word. And we try to connect with one another to build each other up. That's what, that's what Old Fort Baptist Church needs to be about. And we're going to begin by understanding where we are. And once we understand where we are and what's valuable to us, it'll be easy for us then to say, okay, now this is where we're going with this. And this is how we're going to reach others. Pray with me.
Father, this morning as we bring this, this portion of our thinking together to a close, we ask that you would begin to stir up some thoughts in us. That your spirit would stir our hearts and, and get us thinking about how we can better serve you in this place and in this dark time. That you would bind us together around these values and help us to understand that we do take a stand and we do um, desire to make a difference for you and for your glory. Lord, as we enter in this time of invitation right now, I just ask that each and every one of us would take seriously what we've heard this morning. And, and you see, it, it can't be that these are my values or even the staff's values or the elders' values. They have to be our values. We have to come together as a people, as a covenant community, and say, yeah, we agree that these things are critical, and we're going to start right here as we begin to move forward for your kingdom and for your glory. And we'll thank you for it because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.